listening to Ohio V, The World, an Ohio history podcast. The only podcast dedicated exclusively to the history of the Buckeye State. Stream and donate to the show at OhioVTheWorldPodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Alex Hasty. Guys, welcome back to the show. It's episode nine, and today's episode is called James Traficant vs. the World. We're changing up the title today as we talk about Youngstown, Ohio Congressman James Traficant, nine-term congressman in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Our guest will be filmmaker Eric Murphy. We'll talk about Traficant's incredible life. Uh, we'll talk about Youngstown, Ohio, and the rise and fall of James Traficant all of which is portrayed in Eric's movie from 2016, The Congressman of Crime Town. There's a link in the episode description, but go buy that movie. Uh, you can rent it for just a couple of bucks on Vimeo, and we urge you to watch that movie even before you listen to the episode. But it is a fantastic documentary that Eric made uh, starring people like Ed O'Neill, Al Bundy, Modern Families, Jay Pritchard, a Youngstown native who knew trafficking. And Jim Trussell, Boom Boom Mancini, all kinds of Youngstown luminaries to talk about the life and times of the congressman of Crimetown, James Traficant. Traficant served nine terms in Congress, but ultimately he was voted out a 420 to 1 vote in 2002, in the summer of 2002. He was expo- uh, expelled from Congress. I went to those hearings. I was working for Columbus's Congresswoman living in Washington, D.C., and those hearings were cannot-miss stuff. You would see it on The Daily Show at night. It was one of the biggest stories in the country. His outspoken nature, his vulgar language, and the fact that he was definitely going to be expelled from Congress. But I would have time in the afternoon at that job and go to those hearings, wait in line, and I sat with a number of other young congressional interns and pages as we watched Jim Traffigant come unraveled. We'll take you to those hearings in July of 2002, later in the episode. Ohio V. The World is supported by our friends at GoBus. Let's go to GoBus.com, a city-to-city bus service here in Ohio, uh, servicing almost all corners of the state. Not only do they have cheap rates from, for every route, they've also got Wi-Fi and reclining seats and bathrooms and, and a really a classy bus situation. Go to GoBus.com. So excited to have them. Supporting the show for the rest of season three. Thanks again to our friends at GoBus. Today we'll talk with Eric Murphy, a Youngstown native, a Warren, Ohio native, who lives out in L.A. He's a filmmaker, graduate of Youngstown State University. Spent some time uh, working with with the current congressman in Youngstown, Tim Ryan. Ryan would would be an aide to to James Traficant, and he's still in Congress. So he continues to rise up the ranks of the Democratic Party. And today we'll not only look at the, the rise and fall of Jim Traficant, one of the most powerful politicians in Ohio in the 20th century, but Eric will also take us through the fall of Youngstown. We'll talk about the closing of the mills, what's called Black Monday in the Mahoning Valley, uh, and how that led to the rise of not only the mafia, but also of Jim Traficant. 
And we'll also talk about at the end how Youngstown's on the rebound, formerly known as Crime Town USA, uh, an area that was fought over by the Cleveland mob and the Pittsburgh mob. And we'll talk about organized crime and its role in traffic in nearly 20 years on Capitol Hill. And speaking of the mafia, we don't have a beer for the episode today. We've got a meatball for the episode. We are joined by our friend Robert Delacuadri, the owner of Meatball Mafia. It's a food truck here in Columbus. I think it won best food truck at the Columbus Food Truck Festival. Uh, and he'll talk to us not just about growing up in Youngstown and his meatballs and, and, and their business, uh, but also just he'll talk about Jim Trafficking. He grew up in the 80s and 90s in Youngstown. We'll visit later with Robert to talk about the Meatball Mafia. You can go to meatball, themeatballmafia.com. Uh, you can have them for their own events. They'll let you follow them on Instagram, Facebook. See, you know, they're all over town. Again, themeatballmafia.com. We'll talk with Robert later about not just great Youngstown Italian food, but also about Jim Trafficking. We changed the title around for this episode, James Trafficking vs. the World. Because that's really what it was. A total maverick, a Democrat um, by name, but really was on his own side. A third unknown party, you know, the trafficant party. And we'll follow his career, not only his rise um, in the city of Youngstown as a star football player, but how he becomes sheriff and ultimately congressman. And how those Youngstown connections uh, end up bringing him down as he's thrown out of Congress in 2002. We'll be joined again by Eric Murphy. Go buy his movie, folks, Congressman of Crime Town. You can rent it for just a couple of bucks even. Awesome documentary from 2016. And we talked to Eric not just about trafficking and his crazy life, but also about the filmmaking process. We've got so much stuff to get to here. Uh, and we are going to take you inside Youngstown, Ohio, those proud Northeast Ohioans of the Mahoning Valley. As we tell you the story of their hero, Jim Trafficant. It's episode 9, James Trafficant vs. the World. Ohio View the World is brought to you by GoBus. Hit up RideGoBus.com and all Ohio bus service. Whether you're going from Cleveland to Cincinnati or the $10 trip from Athens to Columbus, you can recline in their comfy chairs or download our newest episode using their free onboard Wi-Fi. GoBus is the safest and classiest way to travel the Buckeye State. So make sure you check out RideGoBus.com for their routes and their cheap rates that'll get any Ohioan where they need to go in style. And now back to the show. Our guest Eric Murphy started making this movie back in like 2010. Took him like five some years. Not just to get funding, but to put it all together and, and to release this movie. And it gets great reviews because it's a great film. And like we said, you really ought to go buy it before you even start listening to this episode. We'll be here for you when you get back. We first talked to our guest, Eric Murphy, about what Jim Trafficking meant to the Mahoning Valley, to the people of Youngstown. He was an institution, a way of life in the 70s, 80s, and 1990s, even in the beginning of the 21st century. But we asked our guest, Eric Murphy, what did Jim Trafficking mean to him growing up in Y-Town? Ubiquitous. I, I grew up on the west side of Warren and uh, I've said it before around my grandmother's dinner table there were conversations of Jesus Christ 
JFK, Jim Trafkin. <laughs> so really, as long as I can remember, Jim Trafkin has been a topic of conversation. Um, you know, politics is sport or was uh, back in the Mahoning Valley. You know, you would talk about the Cleveland Browns, the Indians, and what was happening in local politics. I just knew of him uh, certainly as like a mythical kind of Paul Bunyan, everyone I knew rooted for him guy would always see his name and, you know, some redacted cuss word and the crazy <laughs> hair. And I was just really uh, drawn to him as a character. Eric's a filmmaker in Los Angeles, but he grew up in the Mahoning Valley. And after graduating from Youngstown State, he's working and, and volunteering with Tim Ryan, who's running for state senate. Tim's now in Congress. We'll talk about him. He's in the movie. Uh, he's been Youngstown's congressman for nine terms, just as long as Jim Trafficant was. But it's those years with, with Tim and meeting Trafficant that really we talked to Eric how that became his calling to make a movie about the congressman, James Trafficant. I got, I got out of college and volunteered on Tim Ryan's state senate campaign. And that's when I really got into Jim Trafficant. And Tim worked for Jim, drove Jim to the district. And I was driving Tim around, so I was getting all of these stories kind of through Tim's eyes. And he looked up to Trafficant, and I, I knew that this was, like, my story to tell. And while Tim was running, Trafficant was up for re-election, so he would show up at, like, the Trumbull County Democratic uh, nomination and he would show up late and walk in and like smack Tim on the back of the neck and smack other guys. He would call it like a smock, you know, and he had like a 25 pound hand. He would knock your head sideways <laughs> and then he would get, get up there and give some really impassioned, but kind of nonsensical stump <laughs> speech and then like walk out and jump in his car that was idling outside. And it was just like, wow, this guy kind of walked in here like John Wayne. Jim Trafficant. In Youngstown, as a kid, he's a hero on the football field. James Trafficant is born in 1941 in Youngstown, Ohio, and he's the son of a truck driver, as he would remind people throughout his political career. James Anthony Trafficant Jr., he's, he's of Slovak and Italian ancestry. He goes to Cardinal Mooney, the new Catholic high school, and we talk to, to Eric about how Jim Trafficant becomes a local celebrity, even as a teenager. Yeah, so uh, in Youngstown... Uh, there was one Catholic high school, which was Ursuline. And that's where everyone went. That's where Ed O'Neill went. That's where all these guys went. And then Mooney started uh, on the south side. And that's actually where my Murphy side of the family went. And Jim Trafkin was the first senior, the graduate, the first graduating class of Mooney. Jim Trafkin was the star quarterback, you know, and they would play at Rayan Stadium and they'd have 12,000 people there. Youngstown State the next day at, at Stanbaugh would have 1,100. Right. You know, so he was a star in the community. And, uh, you know, we, we included some of that in the film and Ed tells a story, um, which we had to cut some of it out, but you know, where he remembers being there with his father, watching Jim Trafkin drive Mooney down the field to beat his beloved Ursuline. And <laughs> so that, that turns you into a star and how we value, and I think still, but certainly then, from everything I've heard, 
they valued uh, accomplishment on, on the gridiron and in sports, and that translated over. You know, Pat Ungaro, which is one of the great mayors in Youngstown's history, was a quarterback. Tim Ryan was a star quarterback at JFK. I didn't you know, know that. A lot, if, if you can lead on the field, you can lead in politics. And, and I, but, you know, I still think people believe that back home. Following high school, Traficants recruited and goes to the University of Pittsburgh. Still a high-level football program, but back then it was even better. And there's a great story about, about a game against Notre Dame in the early 1960s, the mighty Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now Traficant, a quarterback for the Pitt Panthers, is benched. Eric tells us this story. Uh, it's a great story about how Traficant leads a comeback victory over Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. So I first heard these stories from Tim as we were dri- I was driving him around and he would say you, you wait, wait until you hear this and then Anthony Traficani would tell me and Eddie Cox would tell me and I'm like wow Ed Cox was there you know these guys are all telling this story this has to be true and so uh Traficant went to Pitt and and Pitt was a, a a good football team back then and he on the team was Marty Schottenheimer who was the coach of the Browns and uh, many other teams, oh, yeah. and Iron Mike Ditka. And Ditka, uh, as we know, is like a tough-as-nails, take-no-bullshit kind of guy, and so He's it was trafficking. Tight, tight end back then, probably. He, he was a tight end. He was an All-American tight end, absolutely. And Trafficant was the quarterback. And they were drinking buddies, and, you know, uh, D- Ditka did a eulogy uh, video for Trafficant and, and talked about all of this stuff. But... Uh, Trafficant was out the night before with uh, Bobby Lane, who was the old-time star quarterback of the Lions and, and then the Steelers. And Trafficant was judging a wet t-shirt contest with them and got in late, overslept the bus ride to the stadium, and got benched. And uh, <laughs> uh, they're losing... Hope I'm getting this story straight. It's yes, so that's, I think they're, you're right. They're losing, and uh, Trafficant calls the coach calls a, a run play. Trafficant calls a pass play. He gets benched. And uh, what I don't think we put into the movie, they're back in the huddle. The coach they they put Trafficant back in. They're trying to win the game. They put Trafficant back in, and the coach calls a running play. And Trafficant calls, gets in the huddle, and calls a pass play. And Iron Mike Ditka is like, he called the run. We got to run the ball. And Trafficant grabs him by the face mask and said, this is my f-ing team. Run the play I call. <laughs> and he throws he like an 85-yard touchdown. Yeah, like off his back foot, like a 70-yard touchdown uh, to win the game. And... uh so that that speaks to his uh, maverick nature. Uh, do go at him alone. He he is always going to do it his way. We've talked about Youngstown in previous episodes. Go back and listen to our episode with Jerry DePizzo of the of the rock band OAR, another Youngstown native. And we talked about Ohio versus Hollywood, the story of the Warner Brothers, Youngstown natives. We talk about a prosperous time. In Youngstown, with staggeringly low unemployment, um, all the mills and steel, 
Youngstown built things. Well, we go back a little over 40 years ago to start this story of, of what's called Black Monday, September 19th, 1977. September 19th, which is the birthday of Miss Ohio v. The World. But in Youngstown, it's remembered as one of the darkest days. We asked Eric Murphy, what was Black Monday? And how did, and how did the, the closures seal the fate of Youngstown as, as I know it growing up? Yeah, it, it was the uh, culmination of a long period before that of tough times, but this was really kind of the death nail. Uh, I believe on Friday, Youngst- Youngstown Sheet and Tube had announced record profits, and on Monday, they closed. They announced an immediate closing, and eventually, like over six months, 50,000 men lost their jobs. And we're talking in a city of 175,000. So 50,000 of those people lost their jobs, and many of them moved away. Um, it was a really horrific time, um, you know, and kind of the beginning of the end of the mighty steel industry that had defined Youngstown for generations. Um, you know, people came over from Eastern Europe and Italy uh, to work in those mills and they didn't speak the language, but th- they could have prosperity and they could put their family in the middle class, middle class in one generation. You know, it was really, uh, the forging of the American dream. And then it went away instantly, immediately. And it, it sent chaos and anxiety, uh, all throughout the community. Um, including my family, you know, my, my grandfather was first generation, um, and ha- had a middle-class life, and it all all went away very fast. And unfortunately, Youngstown, uh, Warren, Trumbull County, uh, just had Black Monday 2.0. You know, General Motors uh, assembly plan in Lordstown. Yeah, they they uh, they announced record profits. Everyone's getting a bonus uh, in the corporate building, and they just closed our plan. It had been open since the '60s, and employed everyone i know has a family member that worked at general motors and it put two cars in the driveway and kids to college and tickets to baseball games and you know it's just really tragic it's it's a it's it's all over again a lot of friends from Youngstown, Ohio. Not so many of them live there anymore, although more people are heading back to Youngstown as as jobs become available. But Youngstown has also always been known for its connections to the mob. We talk about in our our episode, Ohio vs. the Mafia, the Danny Green story about what's what's called a Youngstown tune-up. It's basically just a, a car bomb. And from the 1960s, 70s, and into the 80s, as Jim Trafficken becomes the sheriff of Mahoning County, Youngstown becomes known for its murder rate and its crime rate. It becomes known as Murder Town USA, Crime Town USA by the Saturday Evening Post. The city's really no longer run by the mills and the big businesses. It really becomes run by the mob. We talked to Eric Murphy about the influence and the role throughout history of organized crime in the Mahoning Valley. Much like America's uh, original sin is slavery, Youngstown's original 
sin is organized crime. It's been part of the fabric. And in Youngstown, there used to be enclaves around the church. So this was the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, the Italian American, the Irish American, the Greek. And within those churches, there were mob members and they were the ones that did the fundraisers. And if you didn't have a steady job or couldn't speak the language, the bank wasn't going to give you a loan, but the mafia would. And when the mafia gives you a loan and you buy your first house by help from the local mobster, where does your allegiance lie? It lies with these guys. So no one ever had a problem with the mafia. And there was the, the pervasive feeling of, well, they're only killing each other. And so we kind of to back up um, so that the mafia being in the city, but the city is equidistant between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And both factions from Cleveland and Pittsburgh were fighting always over control of Youngstown and kind of along the Mahoning river. And when the mills collapsed, you know, these mill workers made a great wage and they went to the bar on the way to work, the bar on the way home from work. They played the bug, which was like lottery. They did bookmaking. There was prostitution. So the money from the mills financed a lot of this underworld activity. And when those guys lost their money, now the mobsters had to really fight to get the money. And that they started fighting each other kind of over the scraps of what was left. Um, really interesting dynamic that all of that stuff kind of happened at the same time. Yeah. And that's, you know, traffic rises out of those ashes, certainly. They tried me for being crazy and I'm stone cold nuts and I'm going to say it. The mob should get out of Youngstown. James Prado should move. Naples should move. Carabia should move. And Trafficking's really taken his life in his hands. He's calling out individual mob bosses by their name. He wins the election and becomes the sheriff of Mahoning Valley and begins cracking down. The tough-talking sheriff begins busting uh, organ not just some organized crime, but just crime in general. And crime was rampant in Youngstown in the late 70s and 19, uh, early 1980s. We talked to Eric about the sheriff campaign and how he wins that election. So historically, the mob always bought the sheriff because the mob, they did operate in Youngstown proper, but they operated in the unincorporated parts that surrounded Youngstown, like Beaver Township. So, and that's where a lot of like Lenny Strollo's and Jimmy Prado's places were. It, it, it wasn't in Youngstown proper, so it was under the jurisdiction of the sheriff. Mm -hmm. So if you own the sheriff, then he would turn a blind eye to your operation. And the mob was smart, and they were a well-run business. They don't want to pick a guy to bet on. They want to own all the candidates running for sheriff. So they're guaranteed to have the winner. And you saw that many times, and I believe that happened in, in Trafkin's race, where more than one candidate was, was bribed and bought, and Trafkin being one of them. Uh, but he ran on an honesty and politics platform, and he was going to smash the mob, and he... Previous to that, he was a drug counselor and really popular in the community. And certainly everyone remembered his football career. Uh, and he ran a grassroots campaign 
and got elected. If you talk to anyone from Youngstown, there's one thing they always remember about trafficking. It's an event that really endeared him to the city. As the mills close, we talk about Black Monday back in 77. When trafficking becomes sheriff in 81, times are tough. And one of his first moves is he decides not to sign the foreclosure deeds, which is the duty of every sheriff across the state. These unemployed steel and mill workers that are being forced out of their homes, trafficking refuses to foreclose on their houses. He becomes a folk hero at that point. These hearings, and we'll play you a clip here, um, with the judge yelling at him, ordering him to sign those deeds, trafficking actually goes to jail. His own jail. I mean, he's the he's the sheriff of Mahoning County. He goes to jail for like three or four days for refusing to sign them, for contempt of court. And all of this plays out on live TV in Youngstown, and people will never forget it. We're going to play you a clip first of those hearings and how he refuses to sign, and the judge puts him in jail. And then we'll hear from Eric Murphy about the effect that these foreclosure deeds and his refusal to sign, although he ultimately does sign them, and how it always endeared him to the Valley. Are you going to be thrown out of sheriff? I would not Jim, keep it up. Now, do you want to sign those deeds and do your... I'll tell you, I hate sheriff? signing those deeds in Mahoney County. I don't I'll care. sign them if you order me. I, but I hate it because these people are losing their homes. Sit down. Sign these deeds. I will not sign them until they have met the conditions of which I have stated forward in testimony before this court, Your Honor. Very well. It is therefore the sentence of this court, pursuant to law, that you as sheriff be sentenced to 10 days in the Youngstown City Jail on each of the 10 cases that were heard this day. I mean, you, you can imagine today uh, a sheriff refusing to evict out-of-work steelworkers out of their home. I mean, it's just amazing. But it, it certainly was a bit of political theater, too. You know, sure. he knew he had a problem on the horizon. Uh, it wasn't public yet, but he knew there he was going to have a problem on the horizon. And what better way to gain the public support? And, you know, some of those people had already lost their homes. Some of them he didn't save. And ultimately, he signed the papers like 10 days later. So he he did execute the the evictions, but uh, he stood up to the judge on television uh, that was on the news live, and he went and served time in his own jail. And then the the media, which you can see how all of this kind of echoes in today's environment, right? Yeah. The media would follow him to jail. They were doing jailhouse interviews live with them and just allowing him to put his narrative out there and they just perpetuated it thanks for listening to ohio v the world every episode this season we will bring you an ohio history connection minute that is highlight the work being done to spark discovery of ohio's stories the ohio history connection formerly the ohio historical society preserves and shares the history of the state of ohio in each episode we'll talk with an employee of the OHC or someone from the over 50 sites we manage across the Buckeye State. I urge you to visit our museum, the Ohio History Center in Columbus, and become a member. Go to ohiohistory.org slash join. So thanks for listening. Hope to see you at the History Center this year and go to ohiohistory.org slash join for membership info. Jim Trafficant was always such a great manipulator of the media. The way that he played them during the, the election 
and the way that he played it during the foreclosure, uh, the foreclosure episode we just went through, he was one of the best. And today we're talking to a, a member of the media, um, and we're talking to the editor of, of of Echoes Magazine, the only Ohio history magazine. It's free to all members. You know, I'm always asking you to sign up uh, to become a member of the Ohio History Connection. One of the great perks is you get this magazine in the mail, Echoes. It's put together by our friend Bill Eichenberger. I've written a couple articles for it, uh, or been featured in it a couple of times, serving on, on the advisory board uh, for the magazine. It not only tells you what's going on in events all over the state with Ohio history and some of our satellite, you know, our 58 satellite sites and at the Ohio History Center, but it also has incredible articles uh, and historical pieces about figures in Ohio and events in Ohio using a lot of times some of all these great artifacts we have. Um, It's formerly called Timeline Magazine that Bill used to run, and it's been combined into this Echoes magazine last year and it's always a highlight when I see it in the mail uh, we talked to Bill about Echoes and just about you know what it's like to put together a magazine after his tens and tens of years in the newspaper world yeah I worked for the Columbus Dispatch for 25 years uh, starting in 1985 uh, was laid off in the great <laughs> purge of 2009 <laughs> that uh, the whole the whole uh, 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 the, the whole industry just collapsed. So, right. um, But I was very fortunate to, to, to actually find my ideal job, and that's to, to, to write and edit about history. Echoes, on the other hand, this new magazine, goes out to all uh, 10,000 of our members. It's a gratis benefit of membership. Um, uh, if someone called me, would I send them a copy to let them, you know, pique their curiosity? The, the thing was, timeline pers- uh, su- subscriptions were uh, $40 for a year. It was quarterly. Echoes is a bi-monthly, and, and our membership at this point uh, is $45. So it's really, it's really the same almost in terms of your price point. And the great thing about it is you want the magazine, you can also get all the benefits of membership at, at the Ohio History Connection. Thanks again to Bill Eichenberger editor of, of Echoes Magazine for joining us and, and uh, also just you know go to ohiohistory.org slash join uh, and with your membership you will get a copy of, of that magazine again it comes out every couple of months and it is so interesting so many good articles and you might even see an article from your host Alex Hasty. so again check that out thanks a lot to Bill so we get back to Jim Trafficking's story he's incredibly popular in the Mahoning Valley but a scandal hits, and a scandal involves the mafia. There's tapes that were made by the mob, by the Carabia brothers, who taped trafficking during his uh, his sheriff run, and basically talking about bribes that he had taken from the mob. He'd taken them from the Carabias, and he'd also even taken some from the Pittsburgh family, up to upwards of hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and it's all on tape. Trafficking even is when he's when he's busted, he even signs a, a letter that he wrote saying that he took the money. It's an open and shut case. The problem is Trafficant has another plan up his sleeve. We talked to to our friend Eric Murphy, and you have to see the movie to, to, to really understand this part. We're not even going to spoil all of it for you. But we're going to talk about how Trafficant gets out of basically a case that's going to send him to jail for a long, long time. Yeah, so those tapes were made over uh, several different sit-downs. 
Um, and he's on the tapes negotiating bribes with, with the mafia. And um, we, we use excerpts of those in the film. And, and I think when people see them, you know, we've sat in a lot of screenings. And when people hear that, you can feel the gasp in the audience. Like, it, is this guy really saying this? And then the next time on the tapes, he's discussing his strategy with two gangsters in case they get caught. And that plays like comedy in the theater. You know, people love it. Uh, it's like this gallows humor. Like, can you believe? So if we get it caught, here's what you're going to say. It, it's, it's, he is in total control. He, these guys are killers. They are killers. And he drags them around by the short hairs. The, those tapes are like five hours long. I've yeah. listened to them from beginning to end multiple times. And it is just so fascinating uh, how smart he is. He is a brilliant guy. And how he can talk and play chess with his words with these guys was so impressive to me. Um, you know, not the actual act of what he was doing, but the, the way he was uh, conducting himself was incredible. And it's worth noting that these tapes weren't made by the FBI. These tapes were made by the gangsters because they didn't <laughs> trust him to keep his end of the bargain. Classic. The mafia did not trust the sheriff to keep his end of a bribe deal. Hilarious. It's a pretty Youngstown moment right there. Yeah, exactly. Traffic's argument is really multifaceted, but mostly it's that he was running this one-man sting operation as the county sheriff to infiltrate the mob and bring them down from the inside. He also challenges, you know, the FBI about the the authenticity of those tapes. We talked to Eric, he, there's, you know, 5 hours of tapes uh, that were made by the mob again, which is just one of the funny parts of it. But he said that those tapes weren't real, that they had been doctored. And the jury, which is partially made up, I think 6 or about half of the jurors trafficking is able to get from his district from Youngstown. That makes a huge difference in this case. We talked to Eric about Jim Trafficking becoming the first person to win a RICO case against the federal government representing themselves. To the best of my research, yes. Yes. Um, you pro know, se. He yeah, pro se. So how, so did he, how did he do it? Uh, so I, I talked to... Uh, a local attorney back there and he made a really astute observation he said there was jury nullification he said Jim Trafkin is the Mahoning Valley's OJ Simpson Yeah, you know he he got first of all he got six of the twelve jurors to be from Youngstown so right there he he was going to get those six and he endeared himself and you have to remember the entire region had been through the collapse of the steel industry not just Youngstown but certainly in Cleveland they were feeling it too and then these Harvard educated uh, blue blood pinstripe suit uh, prosecutors are coming in beating up on the local hero who just refused to throw people out of their homes who spent time in his own jail and he's in a corduroy suit 
you know, having the judge yelling at him for his salty, earthy language and <laughs> scuffing the, the marble floors with his cowboy boots. Who wouldn't love that? I was scared less. Sure I was. I was scared of the FBI, scared of the IRS, scared of the federal prosecutors in the Justice Department, scared, scared of the mob, scared of everybody. Trafficking's mobbed on the steps of the courthouse. He's hugging jurors and they're crying. He's talking about the triumph of the American justice system. It's a pretty, pretty cool moment in downtown Cleveland. But it cements trafficking as, as a legend. Not just you know around the country for what he's done, but also especially in Mahoning Valley. We talked to Eric about Youngstown's reaction to Jim Trafficking beating the United States in the case of the United States versus James Trafficking. It probably felt to them like it felt to us watching LeBron James drive around Cleveland with the NBA trophy. Hmm. It was just like the best feeling. Your guy won. You know, I knew he didn't do it. I know Jim Trafficking. He didn't do it. That I, Everyone I talked to, that was the feeling. And, or the other feeling, which Ed conveys in the documentary, Ed O'Neill, um, we knew he did it. But who cares? <laughs> Everybody does it. And that's a Youngstown thing, you know. Totally. Yeah, we, we know he did it, but we don't care he did it. Trafficking goes back to being sheriff and fighting the mafia in Youngstown. We take a second, because like we said, we don't have a beer for the episode today. We got a meatball for the episode. It's our friend Robert Delaquadri, his food truck, uh, the Meatball Mafia. Robert's from Youngstown. He uses his old family's recipes. uh, And I'll tell you what, they make a damn good meatball. Uh, Meatball subs. You got to go to the website, the Meatball Mafia, and check out their, their menu. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so you can see, you know, there are festivals all over the place and you can rent the Meatball Mafia for your own party. Uh, but we talked to Robert, not just about his memories of Jim Trafficking, but just about why is Youngstown food, why is their Italian food so much better than it is down here in Columbus or, or the food I've had in Cincinnati and Dayton? What is it about Youngstown and their Italian food? Uh, you know, I think it's because people from Cincinnati grew up eating from the garbage cans. <laughs> no, uh, I am not, you know, it's, it's strange to think that. And I, I couldn't believe the Italian when I moved here. No, no offense. <clears throat> I just, it was different and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I feel like maybe the sauce in Youngstown isn't as sweet. Um, I notice it's, it's more savory. I don't know how else to describe it. But, you know, that's one of the reasons we don't exist in Youngstown, because if you throw a rock and you hit a bar that looks kind of dumpy, you should go in there and eat some of their food, because it's probably amazing. Yeah. And that's just kind of how it is in Youngstown. Um, everybody's grandma taught them to cook. You know, there's a, there's a nice cultural crossover between the Greek and the Italian food. I feel like you're, you're as likely to find somebody who can make grape leaves and meatballs equally well. And that's just kind of how Youngstown is. And I just missed those flavors when I came to Columbus. And like I said, I've had some good meatballs here, but you know, it's, it's just, there's a million ways to make a meatball and we just brought our Youngstown ways down here. 
how can people, you know, I know you do private events and you're always at, at the big festivals around town, but how can people get the Meatball Mafia to their event? Well, you know, we have a website, themeatballmafia.com, and if you go there, you can uh, send us a contact. We can kind of get you what you need, whether you need a truck or you need some catering. It all depends on what you want to give for your guests and how, how you'd like to celebrate your event. What are some of your, your favorite memories of, of traffic, and even as a kid or just you know looking back on them now? My very favorite memory was every time he was on the news locally, uh, just past his head in his office, there was a sign of a, a bull defecating with just a big red X through it. And the first time I noticed that, I just thought it was the funniest thing. And my dad looked over at me and goes, Jim Trafficant, no bullshit. Thanks again to Robert for joining us. Uh, check out TheMeatballMafia.com. Uh, and they'll be coming to you at a festival or event this summer. As we get back to our story, Trafficant beats the government in 83 and in 1984 runs for Congress and wins. He's a Democratic candidate and he's victorious. He becomes a congressman and he goes to Washington, D.C. And this is where his legend really grows nationally. I mean, you got the way he dresses, his hair is it's like cra- as crazy as Trump's. Uh, he wears, you know, bell bottoms and skinny ties. He uses, you know, profanity. He's not making any friends. All he cares about is his district, his people of Youngstown. He doesn't, and he doesn't care how he gets them results and federal funding, who he steps on, the enemies he makes, and he makes plenty of them. Trafficking becomes a star on the cable channel C-SPAN, the government channel that just you know runs the House and, and Senate you know proceedings all day long. And he had a catchphrase. It was, beam me up. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker. And we talked to Eric about, you know, what does that mean, this Star Trek reference? Beam me up. There's, there's no intelligent life. And we talked to him about some of those speeches he makes, those one-minute speeches. And we'll play one for you after we hear from Eric. Well, I, w- I will say that if Jim Trafkin was in today's Twitter, Facebook, viral video uh, world, he would lead the news every night. You know, um, he was the Lenny Bruce of Congress. And he found a loophole in the bylaws that every member was afforded one minute every day to say anything they want. (laughs) And most people don't know that as a member of Congress uh, on the House floor, you are protected from libel, slander. You can say anything you want. And he did that. So he would pick a topic and he would sketch out a little idea and go down and deliver it. And he would punctuate it with, uh, Mr. Speaker, I yield back the fact, you know, um, and he would call members of Congress, um, you know, they should see a proctologist to get their head examined, just a million funny one-liners. And then he would punctuate it with, uh, beam me up. And that was his call to Star Trek, beam me up. There's no intelligent life down here. And after years of studies and reports, and after hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, the Department of Agriculture has come to several conclusions. Number one, big farm animals produce more manure than small farm animals. (laughs) 
And number two, manure stinks. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker. $200 million to determine that manure stinks. I think these environmentalists over the Department of Agriculture have been smelling too many methane fumes. Why not just let the chips fall where they may? Stockpile a little bit and tell these monarchs and dictators overseas they keep jacking around with oil prices. We're going to turn Elsie loose. Yield back the balance of this Traffic is re-elected in 86 and 88. You know, he wins in 84, a year that the uh, the Democrats are smoked. Walter Mondale just destroyed uh, by Ronald Reagan, an all-time presidential route and trafficking. It's still winning by large margins. 88, President Bush is elected over Dukakis. Trafficking wins, you know, by 30, 40 points. We asked Eric to tell us, you know, just about this, you know, his original version of this movie was five hours long. He condenses it down to an hour and a half. Um, so we asked him just what are a couple of stories that you heard that that just didn't make the movie some funny trafficking stories that kind of sum up trafficking as a politician trafficking was talking i believe in mansfield to like a farmer's union or some kind of union and they were giving him a a pack check for like ten thousand dollars and they pull in, his driver pulls in, and they go in the back, the pipe and drape, they come through, and he get, gets up, and uh, the union president presents him with, like, this oversized check and the photo op, and the, the room is packed. You know, Trafficking's at his peak popularity. He's getting elected with 90% of the vote, you know? And uh, he said... You guys are out of work. You're on tough times. And I appreciate this money you're going to give me, but I refuse to take this money. Uh, I want them to split this check amongst the most needy of you. Crowd goes bananas. <laughs> traffic it, traffic it. They walk out the pipe and drape in the back, the little kitchen of the union hall. And uh, he goes to the, the union boss. Give me the f- check grabs the check gets in his car and drives away and i think that illustrates it beautifully like 700 people saw him give the money back and two people saw him take it right and it's in the bank the next day exactly oh no never go in the bank (laughs) (laughs) we bury our cash in yellowstone Jim Trafficken goes to, to goes to Washington, and although he's a Democrat, you can never really know what his vote's going to be, and he'd leverage that that kind of mystery, that's that independent streak. Sometimes voting for Republicans if they could give him what he wants for the Mahoning Valley. Sometimes and most times voting with the Democrats, but always concerned about how something would affect Youngstown. The takeover of the auto industry by the Japanese company Honda and Nissan, Toyota, in the 1980s was always something that he railed against. And really any kind of law, NAFTA, another one, any of these laws that, that would hurt jobs of, this, of the industry in Youngstown. We talked to Eric Murphy after we hear a clip of him on the floor of the house talking about the economy. 
and talking about it in ways that people in Youngstown would like and respect, these little sound bites that he would get back to his district. But he'd also get a lot of money back to his district. He was a skilled politician that way. We play a quick clip, then we hear from Eric Murphy about Jim Traficant, the congressman. The bottom line is, we have a crisis ahead that'll make the 29 crash look like a fender bender. And for all those who keep making light of it, in about 10 years, you try and eat your Toyota. Traficant's Japan bashing has made him a hero in Youngstown. Obviously you care. You think the country cares? You think the country gives a damn about the Youngstowns? What happened in Youngstown will happen everywhere else if there isn't a trade program developed in America. Well, I guess the best way to use the system is to get in there and elevate yourself and play nice and have a lot of uh, allies in Congress, other members of Congress, right. and senators. He, he didn't take that approach. So he was a one-man gang, and he would try to leverage the system in that way. So he would try to blow up something in committee if the Democrats were bringing it and they needed his vote, um, he would hold them hostage and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to vote for that. I do need a courthouse. And that's back when earmarks and kind of brick and mortar give, giveaways were kind of how Congress ran, you know, the mm-hmm. Jack Murtha kind of Congress. And so he, we have two federal courthouses. He got, you know, 30 million bucks or so for the Cavelli Center, which he was dead right about. I mean, you know, he he was spot on about getting that money back there and trying to revitalize downtown Youngstown with it. Um, you know, but it was all like uh, he was a punch you in the mouth guy, you know, and he would try to blow up a system when he voted it for Denny Hastert, that kind of sealed his fate. You know, you can't vote for the the Republican speaker when you're a Democrat. I, William Jefferson Clinton, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. Trafficking lived a lot of his time in D.C. on a houseboat in the Potomac. The IRS did finally sue him and did beat him um, for the, that $160,000 for not reporting it on his taxes. The money he took in the sting operation back in the early 80s. So his check as a congressman was always garnished. A congressman whose paycheck was garnished by the IRS. Trafficking always hated the IRS for that. In 1992, there's a political sea change. Out of nowhere, the Democratic nominee Bill Clinton, governor of Arkansas, becomes president. Trafficking would always have a very complicated relationship with Clinton, but he would campaign for him in 1992. There's some great video in Eric's movie of of, of uh, Clinton and Gore coming to the, to the Southern Mall. Southern Park Mall there in Boardman. And, you know, tens of thousands of people showing up in traffic and giving his full support, but he wanted something in return. We talk with, with Eric about his relationship with President Clinton. It was very complicated. Um, and, you know, Clinton was pushing through NAFTA. Trafficant was vehemently against NAFTA. 
Um, and certainly NAFTA has decimated the industrial Midwest and uh, really decimated Ohio uh, in the manufacturing sectors anyway. Uh, and we see that echoing now with Black Monday 2.0 with General Motors pulling out. Um, those are still the effects of that. So Trafkin was opposed or opposite with him on a lot of policy stuff. Um, but he campaigned for him very hard for president. Trafkin was extremely popular in 1992. So having his endorsement and getting on stage and holding uh, Bill Clinton's hand in front of 25,000 people did a lot for Bill Clinton. Um, and historically, you have to come out of the Mahoning Valley at 75% uh, as a Democrat to win the state. And he delivered for, for Clinton-Gore uh, with the promise of getting a defense accounting center. And uh, they got in there, and they started doing politics. And they fucked him over. You know, they lied to him. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, the proof is I have friends who work at that DFAS facility here in Columbus and not in yeah. Youngstown. And that's where it went. And those are really good jobs. And you build a feeder system out of your college. Youngstown State has a good accounting school. They had it all set up. And it would have really helped stabilize our economy for generations. And uh, and he knew it was a big deal. You know, Trafkent was a blowhard and a loudmouth. But he was a really smart guy, and he was really well read, and he he knew the impact of this stuff, and um, you know he he was a legislator. He he knew how to get stuff done, and uh, he knew it was going to be terrible, and it was, and uh, so that really turned them. So traffic uh, just went after Clinton, you know, uh, House floor anywhere he could. Clinton gives that Defense Accounting Center to Columbus. It's over on the east side, over by Whitehall. And it's Senator John Glenn who wrestles it away from trafficking. John Glenn, who one of the greatest Americans of all time, will be a subject of an episode next season, in season four, the late Senator John Glenn. But trafficking is just beside himself. He's betrayed by Clinton, but he keeps working the system. And when Clinton comes back in 96, trafficking gives it to him on stage, berating him. Um, supporting him while also tearing him down. And actually on the way out of that uh, out of that rally, he gets in such a big argument with Clinton on the way back in 1996 that Clinton and, and the Secret Service actually throw him out of the limo. But trafficking keeps working. And he secures a major funding source that is still used today in Youngstown. Yeah, he, he got uh, airplanes for our air base uh, that are still in use. Um tens of millions, hundred millions of dollars with these uh, C-130s um, that are still operational. And that work has allowed Tim Ryan to build upon that. And Tim's on defense appropriations and able to get money back into the area because traffic can save the air base initially. Think about it. After our taxpayers are hit with unnecessary tax bills, heavy enough to cause a hernia for the jolly green giant, they're told, if you don't like it, sue us. This isn't hearsay. This isn't rumor. This is an exact quote of an IRS agent who also said, beware, Congress. The IRS will tell you these are isolated incidents. That's not true. This is, in fact, standard policy. Beam me up. I say it's time for Congress to shove these illegal tactics 
write up the assets of the IRS. The IRS has been created by Congress. Congress caused this problem, Congress must solve this problem, and Congress must change the burden of proof in a tax case or else the IRS will keep saying, prove it, sucker, prove it, prove we're wrong. I yield back all the balance of these illegal tactics. Gentlemen's time has expired. Uh, and if you publicly embarrass them and rub their nose in it the way he did, I, I'm positive there were hard feelings. Uh, however, uh, in addition to that, I don't think they had to make anything up when they came after him. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was pretty sloppy with some of the stuff he was doing. And, you know, I've talked with all kinds of, oh, the government conspired. They came after him. And I went, well, I've went through all the court transcripts and all of the documents. And, I mean, I just... Maybe I'm naive, but I, I don't know how the government got a hundred people to testify in federal court under the, you know, perjury hanging over their head to to lie against the guy. Yeah. I mean, just so many people came forward. Um, but I'm sure that they were pissed off at him. I'm sure the IRS and the FBI were pissed off at him. I hate the FBI, the Justice Department, the Treasury Department, the Internal Revenue Service. Because they intimidate our people and invoke fear. And in America, no one should fear the government. I'm prepared to go to jail. And for the length of time I spend in jail, I will die in jail. But you know what? I will die in jail before I would admit to doing something I did not do and had no intent to break any laws. The only intent I had involved with all these people was to ultimately help my community. Trafkin's taken to trial in 2002, again in Cleveland, and again he decides to represent himself. A really, really stupid plan, but it worked for him once. When the trial starts in February, Trafkin pleads not guilty by reason of sanity, but this trial wouldn't go like the last one. The federal government, after a two-month trial in April of 2002, convicts Jim Trafficking. He had turned down a plea deal of two years, and it's now that he will be a convicted felon. It'll go to a House vote in the summer of 2002 before the Ethics Committee and then before the full House to remove Jim Trafficking from Congress. that summer of 2002 that I was in D.C., the same summer as the traffic and expulsion hearings. He goes before the Ethics Committee, and on that first day, there's so many headlines and, and laughs, and, and some people that I lived, uh, lived near told me just how much fun they had. So the next day, I go, and I wait outside, and I'm in there for the afternoon hearing. We play you a few clips. Trafficking is, is not holding back. He knows he's done, and he wants to go down Trying to make people laugh, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It was weird. Um, but as a 20-year-old kid, I was laughing uh, at a lot of his childish, childish jokes. Here's him talking about the prosecutor sitting across the table from him, giving testimony about his conviction. Um, I want you to disregard all of the opposing counsel has said. I think they're delusionary. 
I think they've had something funny for lunch in their meal. I think they should be handcuffed to a chain link fence, flogged, and all of their hearsay evidence should be thrown the hell out. And if they lie again, I'm going to go over and kick them in a crotch. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Trafficant. Mr. Lewis? Nothing further, Mr. Chairman. And Congressman Jim Trafficant, one of only two House members to be expelled, uh, not counting some members that were thrown out because of their allegiances to the Confederacy. It goes to a vote before the House. We play you just a brief, uh, the end of his, what would be his farewell address on the floor of Congress, a place where he gave hundreds and hundreds of speeches. I think as a member of Congress, I want you to just think of this. There may come a time where you might get targeted. You know what I was told? Watch what you say. You're too outspoken. Watch what you say. Shut up about the Reno case. I'm not going to shut up. The gentleman has expired. I want your vote because I think my vote is your vote. And my people elected me. And I don't think you should take their representative away. And as we said, he was voted out 420 to 1. That one vote was from Republican or I'm sorry, from California Representative Gary Condit, who was under investigation for the death of one of his interns, Chandra Levy, found in Rock Creek Park that summer, and it was said that Condit had had an inappropriate relationship with her. He's later cleared of any of the murder investigation, but at the time, he was under investigation, and he's the only one who voted not to expel Jim Trafficking. We talked to Eric about the sad end we talked about the rise of Jim Trafficking. Well, here in the summer of 2002 is the fall. Yeah, I, I just think like the, the walls were finally closing in on him and there was no way out. He had already been found. He'd been convicted in, in court. So this was pretty much a formality of him getting kicked out of Congress. Um, and he wasn't going to go quietly. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, even the people that supported him, that was just like a bad taste. Um, you know, you got to care about the name on the front of the jersey more than the name on the back of the jersey. Yeah. And, uh, but going back to his quarterback days, it was always about the name on the back of the jersey. Um, but he embarrassed us down there. You know, those hearings were uh, funny, but <laughs> embarrassing. Um, and ultimately not funny. And, uh, I just think you saw a man kind of coming, coming off his axis a little bit. Um, and we tried to portray that in the movie, like to, it's bad, but it's humanizing. Like he, this is it, you know, he spun out, he's, he's crashing and, um, it's sad and pathetic. Um, and he, he's better than that. He was better than that. Former Congressman Jim Trafficking is now in the custody of U.S. Marshals. We have now learned that he is temporarily being held at the Summit County Jail. Now, he was handcuffed and immediately led into custody this afternoon. 
He will be behind bars for the next eight years, but despite his conviction, he vows we have not heard the last from him. Everybody in Ohio and America knows I've been railroaded. U.S. District Judge Leslie Wells handed down a sentence slightly longer than the minimum prosecutors had asked for. Judge Wells told Trafficant, quote, you apparently think you're above the law and that the good you've done does not excuse the crimes you've been convicted of. Trafficant responded, I'm not ashamed of a damn thing. I expect the worst from you. In the middle of the proceeding, Trafficant abruptly fired the attorney he hired to represent him. And just as he did in his trial, spoke for himself, claiming the judge, prosecutors, and the federal government were all out to get him. Trafficant also asked the judge to let him remain free while he appeals the sentence. She refused, saying he had bragged about escaping from prison and threatened to rip out the throats of FBI agents. Jim Trafficant does seven years in prison. We talked to Eric a lot about it. He talks about it in the movie, and you can learn about some of the crazy stuff that happens to him from jail. He runs for Congress in 2002 from jail. Picks up you know, 15 16% of the vote from behind bars. But when he, get, when he gets out in 2010, that's when Eric begins making his movie. And he wants to go talk to Jim Trafficking, who's back on TV all the time. He's, you know, almost, he basically becomes a member of the Tea Party. It's the same summer of the Tea Party movement. He's going to run for Congress yet again as a convicted felon. Eric's talking with Trafficking. He's going to his events. He's talking to him about the movie. Not that he was a normal guy before, but he's definitely changed after jail. And Eric's trying to get him on camera to do an interview. We asked Eric straight up, like, you do this movie about trafficking. You know, why didn't you interview him? And he's like, well, I did. We asked Eric about post-jail trafficking and why he never does show up for a personal interview in Eric's movie, Congressman of Crime Town. Yeah, that's a great question and one that has come up uh, before. Uh, And... Ultimately, I think it played to our benefit to not have him in the movie. I think so. Um, be, like, like you had just stated, um, because he was never going to change his narrative. He was set up by the, according to him, he was set up by the government because he had beat them and embarrassed them when he was running a one-man sting, and they had this long, simmering animus against him, and. He spent seven plus years in prison and got out and it's like they hit pause on the tape recorder. I mean, he was saying the exact same things uh, with the same intonation, the same pauses. I mean, it really was like listening to a a tape. I I went and recorded 45 minute speeches he would do at at the tea party. And then I would go the next night and he would do the exact same speech no matter there. There would be one. There would be one person there and me and Albie yeah. filming this stuff. And I would go up and talk to him after he knew I was making a movie. He knew I wanted to interview him. He kind of ran me in circles. He had a quote unquote manager out here in Los Angeles who ran me in circles. And like, it, it just became so aggravating. And then uh trafficant called me. Uh, I was back in 2010 filming when he got out and ran for Congress and said, I heard you're trying to make a movie about me. I'm like, yeah, you heard it from me in person last week. <laughs> what, what? Yes. And well, I, I, I'm going to sit down. We need to do an interview. And he said, come on out to the Metroplex tonight and I'm going to put on a show and we're going to sit down and do an interview. And I showed up 
um, naively now looking back on it. And I walked in and I'm like, oh, we're going to get the interview. Great. And he looked at me and said, you know, tried to intimidate. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? Get out of my face. <laughs> he had invited and, you. And I have that on, on, on tape. <laughs> and I chose not to, and one version it was at the end of the movie kind of to address this question that comes up. Like, Jim Trafficant would talk to anyone. Why didn't you get him on camera? Well, I did get him on camera, but that's what, you know, he wasn't going to answer any questions. And, and then he wanted, like, $2 million. For, like, you, my life rights are worth $2 million. <laughs> and I think people, and this is proved out in my screenings at the Q&As afterwards, people are like, well, you actually gave the guy a pretty fair shake. Like right. you didn't try to nail him down and you didn't give him a free pass. I just tried to lay out the facts, but he was never going to see it that way. We talk about when trafficking gets out of jail, he's, he becomes a voice of the Tea Party movement. Although he was a Democrat his entire career. We talked to, to Eric about some of those similarities between Trump and trafficking. This modern populist appeal that each of them had. Now trafficking you know, really changed the the voting in the in the Mahoney Valley. I mean, it was always very heavily Democratic, but it leaned Trump in 2016, which is a shock. We asked Eric just about the similarities and how the that corner of Mahoney Valley actually really did lean Trump in 2016. You know, we saw what happened in Mahoney County and Trumbull County in the 2016 presidential election. A lot of those old trafficking voters... Uh, voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, they crossed over and, and voted for Trump. Uh, Trumbull County actually went Republican for the first time, I mean, I think 80 years or something like that. And, and Mahoning County barely went uh, Democrat, you know, and it used to be 75%, 78% Democratic uh, with Jim Trafkin being the Democratic congressman for almost 20 years and getting 91% of the vote one election. Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat, now has Trafficant's seat. He actually won it that same fall of 2002 when Trafficant went to jail. And he's still there. He's, you know, he's unlike Trafficant, who was kicked off of all of his committee assignments after voting for the Republican Speaker, Dennis Hastert. Ryan was, was considered as a, an alternative to Nancy Pelosi as party leader in 2016. He's on the Budget Committee, Appropriations, Chairman of Caucuses. Eric, who, who volunteered for Tim Ryan back in the day, and Tim Ryan, who's in the Congressman of Crimetown movie, very prominently featured, I was very close with the Obama administration. But he has done great work to bring money back to Youngstown. As Youngstown moves to a more technologically-based economy um, and moving away from, from what hasn't worked. You know, the factories and the mills and the heavy industry. We talked to to Eric about Congressman Ryan, his different approach, his very different approach in Congress to that of, of Jim Trafficant and how Youngstown's starting to turn around. They're they're like polar opposites, right? Um, in pretty much every way. And certainly their approach to governance where yeah. Tim has spent and now Tim's been in there as long as Jim was, you know, so uh, about so tim spent a lot of his time forging alliances and uh climbing the ladder and making calculated decisions of 
when to make a move and and uh, kind of looking. What I'm most impressed with, if I can say, is his ability to see around the corner. You know, a lot of guys can see down the street, but not a lot of them can see around the corner. And the, the stuff that's happening in Youngstown now, Tim was talking about, you know, in the abstract, but talking about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and now with the 3D technology and printing technology, additive manufacturing, and being able to bring that to Youngstown because of his relationship with the White House and Obama administration, you know, that's paying dividends for us. And now the Youngstown State's being connected to downtown business district and the the business incubator that they have down there is world-renowned. It's doing this really innovative technology and it's keeping our resources of our young people back there. You know, I'm one of the guys I got educated. I left, there was no work there for me. Um, and now people are going to college and moving back there. There's no book recommendation today. We've got a movie recommendation. And it's our guest, obviously, Eric Murphy's incredibly awesome 2016 documentary, Congressman of Crime Town. And we've got a link in the show description to Vimeo. Um, and like I said, you can rent it, you can buy it, but I implore you to watch it. It's really good stuff. If uh, anyone from Northeast Ohio, anyone who liked this episode, You'll really enjoy it. And we try to, there's so much more to the movie than what we were able to cover here today. Um, incredible clips with Trafficant, the interviews, um, just an awesome film. I can't wait to see what Eric Murphy is up to next. And we really appreciate him joining us. So go buy his film. It wasn't seen by nearly enough people. Um, I remember seeing it on all my Facebook feeds, you know, in 2015, 2016, uh, and really enjoyed it. And like I said, go get it. The Congressman of Crime Town. That'll do it for today. The story of Jim Trafficant, uh, Trafficant who passed away in 2014 on his farm when his tractor flipped over on him um, and he died from those injuries. But an incredible story. I was, can't believe that you know I was able to be at those hearings in 2002 when I saw his fall from grace. And to tell you guys that story some 16, 17 years later is, is pretty cool. So I appreciate you guys listening. Ohio View the World is supported by GoBus. So go check out our friends at RideGoBus.com. Thanks again to, to them for all their support here in Season 3. And thanks again to Robert Delacuadre from the Meatball Mafia. Go to the TheMeatballMafia.com. Uh, you'll see them all over again. Rated the number one food truck in Columbus at the Columbus Food Truck Festival this year. Um, got a big trophy for it. Maybe that was last year. Um, and you can see them again. Check their website, follow them on Instagram and Facebook, and they'll let you know where they're at. So thanks again to him. We'll be back with episode 10 next week, uh, almost two-thirds of the way through this season. And we're having our annual Ohio versus Murder. This will be Ohio versus Murder 3.0. And we'll go to Cleveland in the 1930s and talk about the infamous Cleveland Torso Murders. We'll look back at the career of Elliot Ness, and we'll try and solve those murders. Uh, with an author, James Bedell, and a historian, Becky McFarlane, from Cleveland, talking about Elliot Ness 
and the Cleveland Torso Murders, a serial killer and a mystery on the loose in 1930s Cleveland during the Depression. Great stuff. That'll do it for today, guys. Thanks again. We are on Spotify now. You can find Ohio View the World on Spotify, so you can follow us on there. Every episode, right at your fingertips. Rate and review the show on on iTunes, uh, and you can always join the conversation on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Ohio V the World Podcast. We've got a Twitter account also at Ohio V the World, uh, and we'll try and keep up with that on there. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode ten. Thanks for listening to Ohio V the World. Ohio View the World has been brought to you by GoBus. Hit up RideGoBus.com, check out their cheap rates and routes all over the Buckeye State. Next time you need a ride around the state of Ohio, whether it's northwest or down the Queen City of Cincinnati, northeast Ohio or southeast Ohio and all points in between, go to RideGoBus.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.